0: Are you ready to tap submit? Let's explore the possibilities together. Welcome to Back Porch Writer. Welcome to Back Porch Writer, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. I'm your host, Corey Miller, and today is May 10th, 2016, and it is shaping up to be a gorgeous, amazingly bright day out after a series of storms coming through my area. Apparently, there's going to be a few more tonight, but I will say this. Because storms were coming through, it did get us out of a baseball game yesterday that none of us actually wanted to go to. <laughs> we were just, the whole family was just really tired yesterday and didn't want to do the baseball game. And we really liked baseball, but we just weren't, weren't into it yesterday. And the storms got us out of that. So we were all very grateful for that yesterday. And the storms did not end up to be all that bad last night. So I'm also grateful for that. I know there was hail in the Omaha area, but I didn't see evidence of that where I am. And that can be pretty bad, pretty damaging, uh, usually around my area. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Very grateful for that. Now, today, we're going to focus on writing memoirs that captivate. Now, this is something that interests me, uh, partly because I, I don't know much about it, honestly, the whole process. I wrote my very first book. It was a book of essays, which, you know, all involved aspects of my life and and what I learned about growing up as a biracial person in the United States and what the different experiences I had and things like that, so I would never have considered that memoir writing. And I don't know if it fits in memoir writing. I just looked at it as, oh, I have this book of essays. So my guest today, Charlene Jones, has just a wealth of knowledge about all sorts of things, and memoir writing happens to be one of them. So I'm going to bring her on right now so we can dive right in, and start talking about writing memoirs that captivate. Charlene Jones, welcome to the Back Porch Writer Show.
1: Thank you so much, Corey. I'm so delighted to be here.
0: Well, I'm so glad that I'm able to talk with you again, and I should tell everybody I've spoken with Charlene a few times. Um, I had her over on the Womanly Art of Self-Defense podcast. Um, Actually, the last two episodes, yesterday and the week before, are all with her. And then she actually was also a featured guest on Back Porch Writer when I did a YouTube version of it a few weeks back for the Brain to Books uh, Cyber Convention. So we've had plenty of opportunity to chat, but not an opportunity to talk about memoir writing, which is something that you are doing now, right?
1: That's exactly right, Corey. It's a current passion. It's something I've actually been working on for a very long time are my own memoirs. But learning more about how to structure memoirs, how to get involved in them, what kind of memoirs there are, that's been a really wonderful learning curve recently. No, so I thought I'd dive right in, and uh, if you don't yeah. mind, and explain to listeners that what what happens with memoirs is – you sort of start backwards, which makes it a natural for me, because I tend to be backwards. But you can look at all the different kinds of memoir there, it, there are, and there is a lot. Now, I'm just going to run through a few lists of what kind. There's autobiographical fiction. Now, that's a fun, a fun section, because you can fictionalize parts of your own life and still call it autobiographical Now, that's fascinating to me because I wonder, do you say, I did this or she did this? Or do you do an alternate? It would be fun to do alternating first and second person. There's personal memoir. There is portrait memoir. So, for example, I have a friend. He teaches here at uh, York University, and he knew Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who, of course, was one of our prime ministers here in Canada, the father of the current um, icon of beauty and power that we have. And um, my uh, friend wrote an, uh, a memoir on Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and it's called A Personal Memoir. And he, well, it was quite interesting to, to read it and listen to it. So that was a personal memoir. Then you have a portrait memoir, rather. Then there's a coming-of-age memoir. This used to be called A Building's Roman. When you do it in fiction, it's called Building's Roman, how, a particular event affected your development as a human being. There's spiritual quest, there's travel memoir, that's a fun one. There's confessional memoir. If you've done something really terrible and you want to confess it and then talk about how you got to the other side, that's also a part of memoir. Political memoirs and public memoirs and celebrity memoirs. The one that I've been studying most closely is called Issues-Driven memoir. And that's to do with rape and gambling and addictions and people who've grown up in a lot of difficulties. And then there's the need for them to write about it. And so there's a whole lot about that particular kind of memoir because it crosses over a little bit into the therapy realm, a little bit more than the others do. But the thing is that once you know there's all these different sections, don't let that bother you. Just go ahead and start writing your story. Write your story. Write it all down. Write it all down. Nobody's going to watch this first draft anyway. You need to give yourself total privacy. And there's a power in that. There's a power in writing just from this is me to me. I need to describe what happened, whether it's a Mm -hmm. funny travel memoir or it's uh, something you wanted, a portrait memoir you wanted to write about somebody else, and you just feel this real draw to that person, you are writing the first draft to you. Now, if you do do a, an issues-driven memoir, so you've had some struggles in your past, and you want to put them on paper, the main thing here, and I get this information from two incredible women. One is named Brooke Warner, and she's at She Writes. And the other is Linda Joy Mayer. And Linda Joy Mayer is a therapist, and along with Brooke, they run something called the National Association for Memoir Writers. And I just love you Americans, Corey. I just love you guys because you have so much population, you're just constantly making big groups happen. Here in Canada, a big group is five people, (laughs) (laughs) especially in February. If you can get five people together in February in Canada, you've created a miracle. But in the US there's so much population, so many people that you can have these big groups. So the National Association of Memoir Writers is just that. It's a great group of women led by Brooke Warner and Linda Joy Mayer. And they do all kinds of teleconferences and seminars and you can join and you get a, a monthly group, I believe, for just the monthly the yearly membership. You you also get included in that a little bit of coaching and some either monthly or every six weeks, conversations with other memoir writers. You get to meet other writers. It's just a great a great uh, tool if you're interested in writing memoir. And Brooke was saying, only last night I was listening to one of her, her classes, is that if you're going to write an issues-driven memoir, you're best to do it in, in the dark parts that you're writing, only 20 minutes at a time. You don't want to get down there and stay there. That's too hard mm-hmm. to do. So do Mm -hmm. 20 minutes you know this was really painful i get my 20 minutes throw it on the page called free writing free writing is where you just write everything 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 and you don't stop to think about punctuation spelling grammar what you're doing is letting the inner wordsmith the one that has all the language around the emotion you're letting that one go right out onto the page so that's your first draft that's your free writing and what happens then is you can put that away and now turn your head completely to the positive things in your life so that you have the positive, the joyful, the wonderful to balance you as you go forward. Mm -hmm. And also Mm -hmm. a spiritual quest. I think that's another one where this would be particularly helpful because sometimes spiritual quests can be a little bit thorny as well. But we wonder why memoir is so important and it's become a burgeoning it's just become this huge uh it's like a juggernaut that took off and it took off actually with a woman named mary carr she wrote a book called the liar's club about her childhood in texas and she is an incredibly good writer And she went on to teach at university, and she wrote another book called Cherry and another book called The Art of Memoir. And she's been teaching specifically memoir. She says that as a child, all she read were memoirs. She was just interested in other people's stories. And she started this and ignited. She's considered the the person who ignited this whole new love of memoir in our culture. But I think the key is that it actually responds to a deep, pervasive need that we didn't have, and we don't have any other sort of formalized place for. If you Mm -hmm. consider that we came from a species that sat around the fire at night and told each other stories, whether the stories were meant to uh, lovingly ridicule somebody else, do you know what I mean, a kind of funny playfulness, which Margaret Mead claims that we had a lot of, Uh, whether it was we told stories of the great hunters, whether you're thinking about Homer and Ulysses, you know, you, whichever way you look at it, the stories have been vital. When you look at the success of Joseph Campbell, the hero with the thousand faces, and all of the books that he wrote, it was all based in people telling each other stories. When you mm-hmm. look at fairy tales, especially if you, if you read some of the fabulous work by Marie Louise von Franz, who was Carl Jung's next in command, really, she was really his second in uh, in command there and she did a lot of exploration in fairy tales lo and behold it all began with oral transmission telling each other stories so this fundamental aspect to being human has become lost as so much of our fundamental being has been lost In the wonderful things we've created, we've been busy over at the science lab creating things like nanotechnology and discovering things like neuroscience and astrophysics. I'm a big believer in what we're doing. I think it's fabulous. But we also need to know that the love of story is not trivial. It's not something just for children. It is a necessary part of being a healthy human being to tell stories Mm -hmm. and to hear stories. And, and there's another angle to that, which is we always listened to the elders. If you think about it, you, people mm-hmm. go, yeah, well, of course, in the old days, that's what we did. Even three or four generations ago, we listened to them because they had been through life in such a way that we thought they had something to tell us. And again, with, mm-hmm. our, with our new, the really abruptly modern culture, say around 1950s, everything got really going crazy there a little bit. We threw all that out. Well, memoir writing is a way to bring that back into the culture. This is my story. This is where I found myself in a travel memoir. This is where my memory goes. This is my portrait of that person. This is my spiritual quest. And if we think about the desire or the need in each individual toward what Carl Jung called individuating, and what that means is being the unique human being not like everybody else, but that unique being that you are alone, you are the only one who carries that particular flavor, then we start to see that memoirs coming out of all kinds of individuals. Sometimes people think, oh, well, there's no point in me writing mine because everybody else has written about it. That's not the point. The point is your unique perspective on that is needed. Uh-huh. And so I think memoir writing is really important. Have I talked enough for this? <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I'll take a Charlene, break here. Do you, you have like, a question?
0: <laughs> with your, um, that's why I started with you have a wealth of information. <laughs> um, Thank so you. So your book, your book um, is My Impossible Life, and yes. I would say that it's probably in that issues-driven memoir category. Is that right? <laughs> Uh, I would say it crosses so the general class.
1: genres because or the subgenres because it is also a travel memoir and a spiritual quest memoir. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is issues driven, but it starts and opens when I'm traveling through a train on a train through India, and how I go and live mm-hmm. in Australia, New Zealand, and, and then I'm gone two and a half years uh, traveling around the world. So there's definitely travel. And then the second, um, it's a sequel to it, will involve trips to Norway, Sweden, and uh, another summer trip to Chania, uh, mm-hmm. Crete, with my teacher and, and Israel, and then into Italy. So definitely travel. And because I say my teacher, it's also spiritual quest. So it's the healing right. arc of what happened. So, yes, it's issues-driven. It is about the healing arc, but it's also these others. And that's, I think that's common. I think you'll find if you get into a memoir of your own, that you'll find that you traverse a couple of different of these subgenres.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes yeah. to the style of writing these things, because I started the, the show with, you know, the first book I ever wrote was a book of essays, and I divided it into sections. So it was, here I was in grade school, and here's some essays that apply to that. Here was high school, here was college, and here's my adult life. But the theme of the whole thing was growing up as a biracial person in the United States, being half right. black, half white, and what that was like. Right. So, but I never would have thought of that as, as a memoir exactly. So, how are memoirs, I guess, different from that perspective? I mean, are they written as essays? Are they written as prose? How are they written usually?
1: Well, it's a really good question, Cora. I think what you've got there, I would I would be so bold as to say that it might be categorized as creative nonfiction,
0: partially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now. Some people put memoir under that category, creative nonfiction, and I think there's a real validity in that kind of organizational scheme. Uh, Writing essays, the themes then would be subdivided. You would have the theme in each particular memory uh, as you write the scene of the memory. Then you would also be writing sort of perhaps even present-day commentary on what that was like or how it affected you or what you did to resolve whatever conflicts arose. Um, And so there you have the memoir component of it very, very strongly. Mm -hmm. Memoirs are written from a number of different perspectives, and the one that you've talked about with essays is totally respectable. That's a completely possible way to do it. As I said, there's one called autobiographical fiction, which is – people who don't really want to, for even sometimes for legal reasons. Uh, my friend uh, Angela B. Chrysler, the woman you know as well from the B2B cyber convention that we met on, uh, she has written a memoir called Broken, in which her main character, all her people, the names have changed, and it's set in, obviously, a kind of almost mythical setting. So that's autobiographical fiction, you see. Mm-hmm. So does that count as memoir? She counts it as memoir. I'm not going to be the one Mm -hmm. to say, no, that doesn't count as memoir. Of course it is. It's out of your (laughs) memories, and she's making it bold. The statement is, this is my memoir. But she Mm -hmm. has changed the name of the protagonist. So you see there's a very wide burst here. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have their ideas on how tightly you have to keep to each of the subgenres or how you need to approach it best. The, one of the, some of the structural problems with memoir that memoir presents that perhaps fiction does not has to do with paying attention to the time structure. You really have to be on your game when it comes to mentioning what time frame you're in with each scene. So say you're writing a scene that took place when you were a teenager, but you really want to be talking about it from present day then you have to be very clear when you bring your reader back and forth between those times. So there are particular demands that happen within the realm of writing memoir that don't necessarily, they may, but they may not. You can also have just, with fiction, you can very much more often just have a chronological flow of events that would lead to uh, the the, uh, denouement, the actual crisis or climax of the piece. It isn't always like that, of course. Very often, fiction writers will write from the past into the present and so forth. But the demand in memoir, because we can get lost in our own narrative, as it were, and because Mm -hmm. we know it so well in a very different way, we know it cellularly, it it, it becomes a little more challenging to stand back and then ask yourself, okay, does this scene, for example, you mentioned that all of your essays fall under the, the theme of biracial what it was like to be growing up as a biracial human being in the United States. So then one of your processes would have been every scene that you chose, does this go directly to that theme? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't go directly to that theme, do I need to include it? And how do I need to include it? And that is exactly Mm -hmm. what we do with memoir. We take the physical theme. But, you know, where, for example, in fiction, people always say, no, show me, don't tell me. Show, don't tell. This is the old adage that people are very aware of. In fact, with memoir, we do both showing and telling. We have to. Because Mm -hmm. we show a scene, and then what we do is begin to weave it with language into a larger fabric. In other words... My my takeaway, I mean I wouldn't use this language myself personally if somebody else might the takeaway from that experience was this. And that's how this fit into shaping my view on whatever. You see? Right. So you wouldn't necessarily do it that bald faced, but you would be doing some kind of a telling. You have to because without that kind of meta description or meta discussion. Your reader doesn't know why these events are significant necessarily. They may guess, but as we know, readers don't like to guess. You have to be very careful with readers. You have to cushion them. You have to bring them what they expect. You have to serve them the best. (laughs) If you don't serve them Mm -hmm. the best, they'll go somewhere where they can get the best. And Mm -hmm. so part of that is making sure that they are not left without... um, without it being too heavy on the other hand you don't want to get dogmatic or uh, proselytizing about what i learned from my life as a "Mm, whatever and how this affects Mm -hmm. everybody in the universe you you don't want to go there either so the main thing to do is just write it first feel the power of it write it let it be out on the page and then as i say if you are in an issues driven experience where you know there's some dark stuff in your past don't push out uh, there's a, a great group on Facebook called Binder Full of Memoirs, uh, and we we had one woman come up and talk about how she was writing the terrifying past she'd had every day, and about five of us mm. jumped on, and I don't even know the others, but we all came on at once as a chorus, saying to her, whoa, ho, 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 don't do that. Do it once a week for an hour or 20 minutes, and then the rest of the time Mm -hmm. do other things in your life. And really, you need support if you're going to go there. You may need um, a a spiritual guide. You may need a therapist. You may need to really get some support for that. But on the other memoirs, like travel memoirs and so on, you have different questions. Well, was, was it like this in the 1980s when I was there? What was that country like? Maybe my memory needs a little jogging. So then you go to Mr. Google and you look at all whatever can be read on that line about that area of the world in the 1980s. And the other thing you do with memoir always is you're on the personal. You are definitely, your needle is going up and down, embroidering through the thread on the personal. But that needle has to also go way up and somehow join your personal life to a larger picture, as you did, biracial. What's it like to grow up as a biracial human being? This is huge for so many people. Mm -hmm. So this is not just one person's story about their life, which is fine, but if you are in that category, probably what you're writing for is an audience of your family, and that's perfectly legitimate. If you want the memoir to go into the world at large, there has to be an understanding of where your story fits into a larger tapestry, so, for example, right. The Liars Club by, by Mary Carr talks about, she talks about in a very powerfully um, artistic way, I would say that she does an amazing job of not really dwelling on the some of the horrible things that happened to her. Uh, she sort of writes about them the way, the way she got through them, which was, yeah, that happened, that was yesterday, let's move on, but much more creatively than I can describe here. Or, for example, mm-hmm. um, Uh, wallins i think her name is or wallace for the glass castle Uh, she has an extraordinary scene in there where she's lying there they're living in a tent and it's christmas and her father is telling her and her brother to look up at the stars and describing to them how all those other kids are sitting in their houses with their christmas trees with lights on because they can't get out to the real place and really look at the stars and that those two you know Wallace, Janice, I think her name is Janice, Janice Wallace, excuse me for not getting the name right, and her brother, are being given, in the father's view, the actual authentic experience. Well, the father and mother, we know by this moment, because the prologue opens with Wallace as a very successful journalist, driving through New York and catching a glimpse of her mother rummaging through a dumpster. Mm. and then she goes to her penthouse apartment and decides whether she should call her mother or not. So you get this complete shock and this complete sort of disparate pieces of this woman's life right away. You know that there's been something strange. And I won't give it away more than that, but it's a brilliantly written book, uh, The Glass Mm -hmm. Castle. And you see there she talks about situations of the homeless from a perspective that makes you think, gee, maybe not all the homeless are who I think they are. Because mm-hmm. in her parents' worldview, they were choosing that as a kind of mm-hmm. political and economic statement. It's totally shocking, but true mm-hmm. in her world. So you, you see the need to take the personal and take it to the, uh, to the, to the wider perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So again, I have a small cool. pause. Do you have any other questions and I can
0: start we, rambling again? <laughs> we have a couple minutes. Um, We have a couple minutes, and I want to touch on your book, My Impossible Life. What made you decide to write that?
1: Uh, When I got back from the the three days of rape and torture with the men who had held me hostage, I immediately started writing it. I was 16 years old, and I thought, whatever else, I have to write this. So I've been writing this book for 50 years, and Mm -hmm. only now have I really got, I think, the perspective and my feet, both of them at the same time on the ground, and it's always been to me that the angels want this story. That, the, I got out of that experience because of the angels. There's no question in my experience. I know exactly that they were with me. They wanted me alive, and they wanted me to write this book. And I have not been, I know that this is a very fulfilling experience for me and something that, because the healing that took place and the enormity of the healing and the miracles and the heaven states are just as big and high as those difficult states. And there's so much healing that can be done. We really have to get the information out there about how you heal from rape and torture, how you heal from incest, how you heal from verbal abuse. It doesn't have to mark you for the rest of your life.
0: Mm-hmm. And indeed I went on to
1: be a double masters degree, raise my son in, into a beautiful and loving father and husband and uh have a, a life that I think even I'm envious of. <laughs> I teach meditation, <laughs> I help people spiritually and guide them emotionally. I write books, I'm on radio and I have my radio program. I mean, I feel so blessed that um I just there's nothing in me that wants to do more than help people who are struggling with some of these events or other events to understand and now with neuroplasticity we have the science that tells us yes i'm i'm not an anomaly we we can do this we have to shift our brains and it takes time and you have to be patient and very very persistent which i happen to be very persistent some people if you can imagine have accused me of being stubborn or even dogmatic i don't know where they get that but in any (laughs) case um (laughs) we can move on from there so that that's really why is i really want it out there so people can know you know what it can be done the Mm -hmm. neuroscience tells us and here are more and more people and there are untold numbers of people who have been raped who've been hurt in terrible ways who just get on with their lives how do they do
0: it Right,
1: And I know that's a well, burgeoning number. There's an army of people like
0: that. Well, Charlene, I want to thank you so much for being with me again on the Backwards Writers Show. As I said, a wealth of information coming from you, and I know the audience is thoroughly going to enjoy Everyone Everybody who listens to this later is going to love this conversation about writing memoirs. You had so much information to share, as I knew you would. Um, <laughs> but I want to thank you for being with me.
1: Thank you, Corey, so much for allowing me time on your your precious time on your air. I really do appreciate it and uh, look forward to having more contact with you, Corey, and my great wishes of well-being for all who listen and for everyone everywhere. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You have a great day.
1: You too. Bye for now.
0: Bye. So check out her book, It's My Impossible Life, Um, and she's got other books. She's got The Stain and Medicine Buddha, Medicine Mind. Um, You can go over to Amazon and find information, or you can go over to soulsciences.net, which is her website, and even get more access to all kinds of stuff because she has podcast information over there, and and so you can listen to interviews that she's done with other people. So check out Charlene Jones. She's got some great information. You can listen to the Womanly Art of Self-Defense podcast for the last two weeks and get some ideas about what we talked about. We got into more detail about the healing and healing arts and her story behind My Impossible Life. So you'll want to listen to that over in the archives for the Womanly Art of Self-Defense. But that's all we have time for today here on the Backwards Rider Show. I want to thank you so much for joining me here. Again, I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit a spell, and write. Thanks for listening to Back Porch Writer. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe via iTunes so people just like you can find the show. If you've got comments, questions, or want to be a guest, visit BackPorchWriter.com for details. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit a spell, and write.